Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Energy retail, an attractive business or not? In today's episode, I'm joined by two rapidly going energy retailers from the French and UK markets to discuss this topic, alongside my colleague, Charmaine Coutinho. Hello, Charmaine. Hi, John. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Um, now, energy retail, you've worked for an energy retailer, Charmaine, and there's certainly no shortage of companies entering the energy retail business, uh, many tens of them in, in some countries. Some have scaled quickly and attracted an investment. Um, some have been acquired. What's your view on this market? Is it attractive? Is it not? How do you feel about it? Oh, it's a really good question. Uh, I'm, I've got conflicted feelings. Um, I loved working for a retailer, um, but the challenge—it was a bit of a relief actually—to to not um, because the scale of the challenge in the transition, the number of new entrants. Um, finding a, a point of differentiation in something that is extremely commoditized and, um, and and just the expectations from customers as the customers change, I think it's really challenging. Um, but, and there has been uh, no shortage of companies that have gone out of business, particularly in the, in the UK, for example. So it's a challenging market, John. Challenging, uh, and but with great potential. So let's hear about how two companies are tackling that. So the companies we have both founded in 2015 and both have grown from, uh, well, everyone started with one customer, I guess, uh, up to hundreds of thousands of customers. Yeah, and we'll, we're going to be exploring the, the progress they've made, um, their vision, their plans for the future, and really what they've learned about launching and growing their businesses. So um, probably a good time to intro our guests. Let's do that. So first up, uh, Julian Chernia, president of Ecowatoa. Hello, Julian. Hello, nice to be invited and thank you very much. And nice to be part of that uh, very interesting discussion. Uh, great, thanks for joining. So can you start by giving uh, our listeners an elevator pitch for your, for your company? Uh, with pleasure. So, Equator, we are a French-based uh, company. We started in um, still in September 2006. Uh, for, oh, I've lost count. 2006. Now, so that's been four years. Yeah. And we've got about um, uh, 245,000 meters now, uh, which, uh, um, for our pleasure, uh, makes uh, Equator the, the, the biggest uh, company in terms of uh, new entrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. French market is uh, really focused on the historical uh, suppliers. So EDF and NG have got uh, still like 90% of market share. And then we've got Total and Any. So that's a huge competition, rich people, very uh, aggressive. And then you've got Equator. So we managed to be the fifth. And uh, as you said, there are uh, dozens of suppliers now. And I've heard uh, even that there are 20 more requested for license on the desk of the French ministry. uh, Christian so, so lots of people in France and elsewhere are being attracted into this market. What attracted you into this market? Why did why did you uh, set up Equator? What's what's your vision, your passion about this market? It's a passion, uh, definitely. It has to be a passion because it's a very competitive and very hard market. I think that um, th- there are two ways to see that, even three. Uh, at a personal level, it's me and my partner. Um, we, we met and we worked together in a previous uh, supplier and we decided that we could do it ourselves. 
and we wanted to do it ourselves. So we went into my mate's room, you know, in Paris, we have mate's room and, and we started the company. That's, uh, that's the way it started. The, the, the vision was that most of the competition and um, even more at that time were producer. The main business of EDF, of NGR, Total is producing energy mm. and they consider selling as a necessary evil. And we said that uh, indeed selling is a nice uh, business and it's a very nice uh, job. And uh, and if you add the digital on the top of that, then you've got a new way to do the, uh, 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 the supplier business. You've got indeed the right way. We used to, we, we, we usually say that the we are no more an, an energy company than Amazon is a bookshop, you see? And, 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 and so that's the concept. And then you've got the values as well. So we are obviously um, uh, doing that for um, personal reasons, which are fighting against climate change, and especially on the energy part, pushing the renewable uh, consumption and pushing for the decentralization of energy. French is a, French is a very, very, very centralized country. So, uh, you have to have some of the citizens who are just doing yeah. their part. Yeah. Okay. Um, so a real passion for retail and for yeah. the customers and for environment, ecological, um, decentralized energy. Um, Julian, great. That's a great intro. We'll come back to you shortly. Charmaine, let's move to our second guest. Yes. Um, so our second guest is Charlie Davis. He is the co-founder and co-CEO of So Energy. Hello, Charlie. Um, nice to have you hey, here today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. No problem. So Julian gave us a really lovely kind of summary of the kind of challenges in the energy market from the moving from the kind of generation producer side to being a much more customer first. Um, could you give us your equivalent elevator pitch for So Energy and why you set up the business really? Yeah, sure. So we're a renewable energy company. We started out in 2015, really wanting to provide a better service than the customers customers were getting. Um, we now supply over 200,000 uh, households, so that's more like two, 230, 240, um, and um, and we're now a rich recommended supplier, and we're uh, number one citizen's vice uh, for customer service. Um, we've we've really done this by two things: keeping it simple, so uh, making what our customers see as easy as we can, and pricing fairly, uh, offering the best rates, and being as transparent as possible. Um, we, we've achieved this by having built the business from the ground up. You know, leverage the latest technology, building our own in-house technology on top of that, um, but also allowing sort of data help solve our customer problems, and 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 the energy industry is, is no short of them. But but our, our sort of our, our secret source is really empowering our people, so being able to give them the tools to deliver awesome service to uh to, to to help our customers i think is as julian touched on there's you know we're coming from a world where um service was a byproduct of uh producing upstream and and through this transition of disintermediation then this is all changing and the dynamics are fundamentally changing and, and we see a real opportunity there but i guess to your other question around why did we set up the business well i, I think it's uh and a, a sort of um uh, a well-known uh, 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 fact around and the UK market, the massive monolithic big six have been selling customers, and we really felt as though we could provide energy at much cheaper, fairer prices, increasing the customer service, and with one eye on the future, 
providing renewable electricity um, because we see it's such an important part that the supplier places to help uh, our customers um, solve the, uh, the, 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 the the climate change and, and be part of that energy transition. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think it's a, it's a really interesting uh, narrative and how that's kind of changed or, or been for the last kind of three or four years. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm intrigued actually by how similar both of your uh, visions that you described on elevator pitches are. So you both uh, refer to, well, the, the monolithic big six, Charlie, or Julian EDF as uh, the incumbent in France. You're both wholly focused on retail, passionate about retail. Um, so sometimes our podcasts have uh, disagreement and debate. Sometimes I have violent agreement. Uh, so let's see where we go with it. Um, now, the first question I'd like to ask you both is around the business of being an energy retailer. Uh, so you look at it from one perspective and the margins are razor thin. The competition is super high. Julian, you, we talked about the number of new entrants coming to the French market. Charlie, there's no shortage of them in the UK. So convince me that you really this is really a good business to be in when you've got such high competition and such razor thin margins who'd like to go first go on julian okay so yes uh, very fragmented very competitive low margin typical retail business very exciting you know french people they've created leclerc Carrefour, so we love retail um a uh, big company, very powerful, very rich as competition. Uh, you've got new entrants coming from abroad in in France, and most probably it's the same in UK, and they're coming with a lot of money. Everybody's got the same product, so uh, it's the same uh, electron and it's the same um, methane molecule. I don't know the English word. Nobody yep. will ever see our product, and uh, and the quality of service is exactly the same so it's even different than in the telecommunication business because the network is the same at least in france that's the way it is and uh, the energy value is so constrained that you can play just a little on the price not so much except if your competition is putting a very high price so it's just the fun of it it's uh, let's go and fight and, um, and i think that all this together makes it uh, a necessity of being more than just an energy supplier so as I said, the competition is producing energy and getting a lot of money from production. And we as a supplier, we have to consider ourselves, or at least we Equator, we consider ourselves as a shop. And people are coming in first for energy, but then we are selling solar panel, we are selling demand response services, and we are building that every day. Obviously, we don't have uh, as much money as we would like to be as fast as we as we as we like. But um, uh, I think that's a vision that we have to add on the market, and that's a differentiation you, you will find. And the customer service is the first uh, is the first solution. Fortunately, a lot of our competition thinks it's a low barrier, low entrance market, and they just first put a website, and then they start to think of how I treat the customer. And if they grow fast, then they just face numerous problems, and you've got um, most of most of the competition is, is is, is blocked around 50 or 100,000 meters. And because that's where the problem rises. So just coming back to what you're saying about the the challenges, you described tons of challenges, Julian, but uh, effectively attract customers, look after them, 
uh, really give them a great experience and work out what else they need and sell more things to them. Uh, and as you say, fundamentally not that different from, from a shop, from, from normal retail. Um, Charlie, how, how would you answer that, that question about how, how attractive is it to be a, what, uh, in the business of selling units of energy? Well, well I, th I think it's a, a huge opportunity, John. I think um, the, the, the element that our sector has really missed the point and missed the trick on is, is the trust element. Uh, and this is an opportunity to really build trust because, uh, you know, it's, you, I'm sure we'll get onto it around talking about like the new innovations and products and services. But I think trust is the thing that underpins the success of this transition towards net zero. If if we don't do our, and there's a huge amount of, of uh, responsibility actually on energy suppliers to build that, because if they don't have it, then customers won't take up these new products and services. And therefore the, the road to net zero will be much harder and longer, and that will ultimately fail us all. So I think the, the energy, uh, as, as Julian mentioned, that you know, on the face of it, seems a very simple, straightforward business model, low barriers to entry, relatively speaking. Um, hey, w w you know, what's the trick here? But but actually, when when you start to build the business, you understand the complexity involved and the importance of 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 the suppliers. So yes, there are razor thin. You know, there are structural, um, especially in the UK market, sort of. Um, um, policies and regulation in place that are sort of enabling this sort of um, real race to, to the bottom and pressure on margins, which 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 will have um, long term lasting effects with the lack of um, investment and innovation happening in our sector. So there are some challenges there. But I guess this is, you know, um, these challenges are there to be solved. And we see ourselves sort of taking it upon that and, and no one ultimately doing it particularly stellar job in, in, in addressing those needs um, to be there for the long term. Does it come back to the point Julian was making, you know, you explained it using word, the word trust, that if you build those trusted relationships, then you have the ability to expand that relationship into more products and services. Um, is that a similar vision to, to, to Julian? Yeah, I, th I think that under, underpins that. Um, everyone is unique and they will have their own unique energy requirements and being able to offer bespoke um, sort of support to individual circumstances is, is ultimately the goal. Uh, for some, a heat pump might make sense, other solar panels, but if you if, if you live in a, in, a, in, a, in a one bed flat in the center of a city, then, then your energy needs are going to be very different. You may not own an EV, right? And your transportation is being disrupted in itself. So, you know, as there, there, there's competitive pressure for sure, but I think there's a huge opportunity uh, to, yeah. to, to, to win by doing it better. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's re yeah, it's, really, it's really interesting, John, because I think the two things that have just come out for me is this piece around trust, which you touched on. Um, but going back to um, Julian's point, it's this kind of pure retail opportunity, which um, it is it is it's very customer focused, but it is, we're talking about pure retail. And I think it's something mm. that's probably never really kind of um, been as clearly articulated for me you know, how people can be enthusiastic for just just that element but what one thing related to that is really about kind of when you come to retail it's all about brand and branding. so I think I'd quite like to ask both Julian and Charlie maybe Charlie we start with you this time about how you've really gone about building your brand because how to stand out and getting to hundreds of thousands of customers to surpass <laughs> those 
structural customer number barriers. Um, maybe give us maybe one or two things that you've learned in the last few years. Yeah, sure. Um, it's uh, it's it's a really interesting question. I think you know the we reflect a lot internally, sort of who we are, how we're positioned. Are we still addressing our customers' needs? Uh, but you know, it still comes back to the, the two principles I spoke on earlier around keeping things simple. Um, customers will want things packaged in a really simple, understandable way. Um, and, and and secondly, uh, transparency and trust, and that's driven through pricing fairly. Uh, you know, there's a lot of mistrust because people have, you know, implicit been, um, been taken advantage of because of um, moving on to sort of like deemed rates, but actually being not being proactive about it uh, and and companies being a bit too short-termist with with some of those ambitions, I think, is ultimately hurting them a bit now. So, um, you know, what have what have we learned? Well, get the basics right. Uh, just a simple, clear, easy service to use is is going to win. And secondly, good service saves you money. So it's um, it, it it makes a hassle-free interaction from a customer's perspective. It means that you're not handling fallout of of unhappy, disgruntled customers because you failed at doing. You know the simple jobs. I mean, clearly we're we're both operating at scale, so uh, not at the scale that we want to get to, however, but uh, enough that problems really face themselves if um, if if it's not on point. So I, th I think there's there's a, there's a huge amount of that, and we, we, you know we've um, we've actually just sort of rebranded re, re a bit on our on our own website because we we've seen when we first launched in 2015 that. We had was well positioned for that market but over the space of five years i think the market moved on and we also need to move on with that market and being agile and dynamic enough to react to to that it is going to be sort of like um it's going to be fundamental going forward right, charlie have you had to how in terms of getting to scale you're a startup you don't have a, a massive marketing budget i'm sure uh, you've not got unlimited uh marketing funds have you grown or organically have you had to go out and market and win those customers if you grow by word of mouth what would you say is the biggest growth engine to, to get to hundreds of thousands well a, a combination of things and it's talking about it's evolved over the years uh we, we we raised some initial seed financing in the beginning but we have not not raised any further since um a number of i think you alluded to on the intro a few people have funded significant losses through significant investments and we, we haven't we haven't done it that way so we we're we're growing organically and, and subject to um, competitive pressures. So um, a, a greater opportunity means we'll grow a bit quicker. If if it's not, then then we won't, um, because you know we're trying to we're, we're both on a renewable perspective, we're sustainable, but we also want to be financially sustainable. Yeah. Um, and okay. um, and so yeah, it's uh, I think this is so we've grown at the beginning through more word of mouth when we wanted slower growth, but as we've sort of evolved in the market and we, we've we've readjusted, we, you know, people sign up directly through word of mouth. Uh, we we have a referral scheme. We we partner with um, price comparison websites. Uh, we 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 have um, a team um, outbound calling customers. So we're really trying to have a diverse group to have a diverse customer base, which I think is uh, a, a great sort of um, a great thing to have as an organisation. So Julian, um, the same question really for you. Um, how what kind of have you learned from brand building to get to your customer numbers where you are at the moment? 
So um, I, I, I mainly agree with Charlie. So sorry for your podcast and your objective of confrontation. <laughs> I, I, what, what you as trust for me is, um, is, uh, is very important. And what we see in the market, as we described it beforehand, is that the only value that remains to differentiate is branding. And that branding is, um, is today uh, based on values. You could do branding by doing advertisement on TV with a, a huge budget in the 90s or the 80s, and it would work. It doesn't work anymore. My competition is spending millions of euros on TV with no values, so it doesn't work. So, and uh, and and the values we we are uh, aiming at now. So we are not aiming. The, the value we are living is, as you said, Charlie. It's almost probably is the same as transparency, proximity, proximity with the customer, being very transparent. And obviously being sustainable renewable and um and this has to be more than a marketing speech this has to be you and it starts from uh, uh you know explaining the importance of the customer because that's the way as charlie said you build trust there are two ways to sell you can have a one-shot sell so like if you've got a restaurant a touristic restaurant you can yeah. sell whatever you want in one shot you can lie how much you want anyhow the customer will not come back because he's a tourist uh, you have a long-term relationship as we have and so if you lie once the day the customer realizes that even one year after even a small lie he will he will be very upset with you and he will not trust you anymore and that means he will not buy any kind of other services even so it's good for him because at the end it lowers its, 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 uh, its uh, 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 expenses um mm -hmm. he, he won't do that anymore because he's lost his trust. And trust comes from value, and value comes from sharing that with the team. So it's very important for us. And in Equator, for instance, everybody has to talk to the customer, even the marketing director, even the uh, software developer. They have to spend at least uh, one day every three months on the phone with the customer, ensuring yeah. and, 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 and keep in mind that what matters is the customer, what they are doing is to make the customer life easier. That's really interesting example, Julian, how, and I've heard it from another energy retailer as well how you put the customer right at the center of everything and that that flows through the whole company regardless of who the, the person is that's fascinating um, the only value we have uh, uh, so if we don't have uh, equipment then the only value is the customer so what do you do with yeah. what is that you take care of yeah yeah uh, and have you funded yourself have you raised much money julian in terms of marketing or how you've grown have you thrown money at marketing to win customers we've shown a lot of money we've shown uh, 700,000 euros this year mm. so that's really nothing in respect to uh, what the competition is 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 doing um we've raised money obviously uh, to, to to start yeah. we might again uh, um, if, if we want to go faster so this depends obviously of the situation it's hard to see the future is with the Yoda say yeah. and um, and so um, we, we started with our own money uh, and then we we had a need of money because it's um, a really um, uh, you, you've got cash issues when you are a supplier coming yeah. from two things the seasonality yeah. uh, so the winter is really harsh and uh obviously the buying the energy which implies a lot of uh, financial guarantee to give to uh, uh to the people whom you are buying to and uh, and that costs you as well a lot of uh, of, yeah. of money which is blocked. so you need some you need some money in your pockets um now 
Let's look forward a bit, and uh, you've both referred to selling added value products and services, selling other things to your customers. Um, if I think of old energy retail, I think of that as being totally commodity-based, selling kilowatt hours of electricity and often gas. Um, as we move more into the energy transition, as the energy transition gathers pace, it gets more interesting, and one of you mentioned demand response, for example, but more complex. So I'm interested for both of you, what opportunities do you see for energy transition retailers? Um, so maybe what's, what are these other products and services you could add on, or what does it mean to be an energy transition retailer rather than an old energy retailer of kilowatt hours? Julian, let's start with you, then, then go to Charlie. No, but then I think that's uh, opportunities that Charlie said. That's exactly the opportunity. Um, we are not producers, so we have no conflict of interest by selling any other solution. If I'm producing tomatoes, then in my shop I will sell only tomatoes. We are buying tomatoes, but we can sell as well whatever, bread, water, whatever is needed, uh, recipes. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, demand response or solar panel or, or any, any, any solution you can imagine, peer-to-peer -peer energy reselling uh, is, is at least for us, not a conflict of interest. Uh, in France, most of our competition, big one, EDF, NG, uh, the famous name, they have these kind of services that are ready on the market, that they are selling already, but they are not selling a lot. And the question is... is that, well, know, Julian, what, is that a challenge? They're not selling a lot, but can you sell a lot? So yeah, as this yeah. transition starts, it, these things start small, and how do you manage that when things are small, but you need to put lots of work into developing an offering? How do you get I, that I, timing right? I'm, I'm thinking that they are not selling a lot because they don't want to sell a lot. Okay. Because it's a conflict of interest. Because if your IDF, if your customer is installing solar panel on its rooftop, then mm. uh, you, you will at the end face a problem of competition from uh, uh, the uh, indi individual citizens. And I give you an example. Um, as far as I know, EDF uh, companies selling to households solar panels, they are selling more or less 5,000 per year. We started selling solar panels this summer with um, uh, one of our employees, a young girl with one year of experience, and she just sold to our customer 1,600 solar panels in two months. Wow. And I've got much less <laughs> customers than EDF. So if I'm the boss of EDF and I've got somebody with that amount of customers that is just selling 5,000 solar panels a year, mm. then maybe if I want him to sell more, I will help him or I will change the boss. But definitely, as I'm not doing that, my understanding mm. as Equator is that it's not their interest and that they're not pushing it. They're just showing it. Mm. I guess and regardless of their interest, your experience shows that there is a market there and you can grow that hopefully relatively quickly. Um, Charlie, how about you? What what does it mean to Sow Energy to be a, an energy transition retailer? Or as as we move away from pure commodity, what will you start to layer on and add? Yeah, so uh, I guess um, it, very similar to Julian, we, we launched our solar and um, our own white label battery this summer, uh, early. Uh, I think COVID slightly delayed the launch of it, but um, mm -hmm. up and running. Uh, once we had some sort of certainty around installations, but it, you know the theme of and the direction of travel is 
um, offering affordable, low-carbon, sustainable technologies and saving customers money. I, I definitely see that point, and I would describe more of a tension between um, this transition whereby uh, we're trying to save our customers money and help the environment, whilst all, which means implicitly reducing the, the, the unit rates at which they buy and also buying less of them. And the mm. traditional model is basically the more you sell, the better it is. And and this is obviously where we, we kind of fit, where we don't, uh, we are aligned with the customer's needs and helping advise where, where, where possible. But, you know, the themes that we're focusing on around the smart home, you know, the home generation, so the solar panels, mm. storage, but there's also transportation and, and heating and opportunities in those markets, especially the UK uh, market is particularly um, uh, dependent on, on natural gas. And that's obviously a big challenge to try and reduce that. And you mentioned earlier in the discussion focus and having to, uh, you know, you're a relatively small company compared to other retailers, you have to focus. How many of these things uh, can you bite off at one time? You mentioned solar panels and batteries. Julian, you mentioned solar panels. Um, presumably, there's lots you'd love to do, but you can only go at a certain pace. Yeah, and um, timing is everything when you, when you have a, a very limited budget and you need to be lean and agile in how you, you operate. So, mm. I mean, it's through building capabilities and competencies across the business. Um, some are through, um, you know, offering a new product range that is, is new for the business and we're set up to learn. So there's, there's a lot of sort of like strategic thinking behind why we might uh, launch into a certain market. But, um, you know, timing, timing is everything. And, and, and the success of, of the road to net zero is driven from making this, these products and services um, um, open to the early majority and the late majority. So it very, they're very targeted on the hyper-engaged, the early, the early adopters, and they're loving about it and they're tweeting all the time. But for this, yeah. to, but we kind of see this, this early majority being not necessarily wanting to be active participants in energy. They want it to work. They want someone to do the complicated stuff. Um, they, you know, they need to keep the tariffs and the proposition super simple. Otherwise, you'll get this dislocation between the people who are loving it right now and have their raspberry pies to the, to the people who are just normal people for, for lack of a better word yeah. and, uh, it, will stay, it will stay with the the innovators and the the, the uh say is a really small niche um julian from last question before we go to the crystal ball um how do you see the timing and how quickly you can widen your product range uh, i'd like to be much faster um question of uh, first digitalization so software uh, development i think um, is, is a software company uh, more than half of the uh, employees are, are software uh, developers and, um, and and that's the main uh, limit so we we have a lot of other small startups with a lot of products idea solutions and i think our job is to integrate them so uh, that's an integration um, limit, uh, a digitalization, obviously, because it has to be easy for the customer to understand, to buy, and to have support. And then a logistic, because at the end, we have to enter to the household to install the solar panel or whatever. Yeah. So um, uh, this is what makes it less fast than what I like to. Yeah. Well, and, uh, uh, I think most 
uh, entrepreneurs always want to go faster than they can, but that's the key challenge, getting the timing right, fast but not too fast. Uh, yeah, no, my, my team thinks we are we are going fast, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm not sure. The thing is that <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a crystal ball guy, so um, and this is even more tiring for the, the the team because what what I think the best solution is to try everything and see which one is hooked by the market, and then push on this one. And uh, every every opportunity uh, we, we go on it, we put it really fast. And then the industrialization is just on the services that are uh, a success. Yeah. And this is obviously very important and very time consuming. Industrialization of a solution um, that yeah. you are selling well is, uh, is, is always difficult. But well, and that, ties back to, that ties back, Charlie, to what you were saying about keep the customer, keep it simple for the customer. Um, now, we need to get onto the crystal ball, Charmaine, the, the yes, talking I'm new energy crystal balls with I'm you. I'm going to wrestle it from you. I think this is a first. Yeah. So it's, it's that time of the podcast when we bring out our crystal ball. Um, and we're going to set the dial to 2025. So both of your businesses, Charlie and Julian, will be around 10 years old by then, I think. Um, so what do you think was, I suppose, the question to pose here is, can you give us an elevator pitch for your business in five years' time in terms of offering to your customers? And then maybe if you've got a bit of time and a one line on what do you think the single biggest challenge to reaching this is? So that's a where you think you'll be, what you'll offer in five years time and what's the biggest challenge to reaching that. Uh, Julian, if I go to you first. Why me? Oh, <laughs> because uh, you, you, were, you uh, went second last time, that's why. Um, wow. Well, and then you can say you know, five years after on LinkedIn, uh, if I made it right today, is he had it exactly. right from the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, I just had it right this morning because uh, I will change my view every day. Now, um, I think that um, decentralization is the key for Equator in the long mm. term. I'd like to help my customer to become producer and to sell energy uh, one to, 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 to another or to choose their energy. Um, this will bring a much more resilient system than we've got in France, which is very centralized. And so, for instance, COVID is affecting a lot the production uh, of EDF because they cannot maintain their 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 their, their power plants. Um, Equator, I hope we will have reached a million meters. And uh, I mean that's that's a wonderful prediction. A million meters, and you would like your customers to be producers. So we'll take that for our crystal ball, and I will put a note in my diary to contact you in five years' time just to check. Um, <laughs> Charlie, the same question for you, uh, maybe in 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 one line, in two lines, really. Um, yeah. So um, clearly, flexibility and and simple propositions around that. We're already seeing demand side response and, and flexibility and VPP technology come through. However, still very early days and still very niche. So mm. we'll, we'll see, but this, this pace of uptake will be driven through the customer and, and, and a customer centric approach. So I expect it's something to be around bolt on services and keeping it sort of quite modular as the flexibility and the, 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 the bespoke nature and the unique needs of the customers are, are adequately assessed. I think um, you know one of the greatest challenges is 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 uh, is going to be around cross industry collaboration. So a great example is is heat pumps. So great technology, a firstly not terribly affordable for most, but also you know this is a great example where left hand's not talking to the right hand. You know new builds are being built and the infrastructure behind them isn't of a quality 
that you can naturally install heat pumps. So you're going to have in five, 10 years time, new homes so that have to be retrofitted uh, to, to take on new low carbon technology. So we're already seeing it today. So this is you know, a greater sort of cross outside of the direct energy domain. Collaboration is going to be fundamental. Plenty of challenge for you as a, a retailer, Charlie, and plenty of challenge for uh, governments, regulators to, to get the frameworks right. That um, is another podcast, John, I think. That is another podcast, Charmaine. So let's draw this one to a close. We've run out of time, but uh, it was a fascinating discussion. And Charlie and Julian, thank you both very much for joining. Thanks, John. Thank you, Charmaine. Um, thank you very much, both of you. Uh, thanks, as always, to uh, our listeners, and we hope you enjoyed it and look forward to welcoming you back next week to our next Talking New Energy podcast. Thanks very much and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Thank you.